let's dive into the Word of God um, together. And um, we're going to spend a bunch of our time this evening in the book of uh, Song of Songs and of Psalms, and they're helpfully quite close to one another. Um, so if you've got a Bible, uh, you might want to jump into there. Now, just a little bit of a recap. Um, the sermon series, hashtag relationship goals, and it is largely drawn from uh, the Song of Songs, or you might know it as the Song of Solomon. And, um, and, and we're talking about issues and themes of of marriage, of relationships, of sex, of family, of all of these kinds of things. And we're talking about these things, some of which you might be like, oh, I'm so glad you're talking about that. And some of them you might be like, I'm so not glad that you're talking about that, and I wish you wouldn't. Um, but I'm going to talk about all of these things. Um, and last, uh, last week, we opened up the, uh, the passage and we talked about uh, the book itself and the nature of marriage and how marriage can speak to something really, really beautiful in God's heartbeat for his people. This morning, I know Abel was speaking a little bit about friendship. I didn't make Abel speak about sex or anything embarrassing at all because I'm a good pastor and I love my elders. Um, but tonight I am going to talk a little bit about sex, not too much. That's next Sunday morning. I'm sure you're all going to want to be here to see how embarrassed your pastor gets when he talks about sex and says that word repeatedly. I'm practicing this evening um, so that I'll be good at it next Sunday morning. We're going to talk a little bit about sex this evening, but principally what we're going to talk about is children and, and parents and these kinds of things. You might be like, well, that's a bit of a shoehorn, Pastor Greg, because I've read the book of Song of Songs and it doesn't talk anything about parenting. It is not a parenting manual. And you'd be correct. And in fact, um, I think it would take quite a daring parent to read the book with their children. It's just awkward, isn't it, really? Um, that said... Um, we are going to talk about these things, and, and you'll see a little bit why in a minute. Um, where I want to begin, and, and we did this a little bit last week, is I want to begin just for a moment at the beginning. And I'm going to just read again from Genesis chapter 1 um, before we get going, um, just to give you a little bit of context and background. And God has created people here in Genesis chapter 1. He's created um, mankind, humanity, in his image. Male and female, he created them. And the Bible puts it like this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I just think that's such a great promise because I don't like the creeping things that creep on the earth. So if God is decreeing that I should have dominion over these things, I'm totally on board with that. And they should do as I say. Um, maybe stop creeping. Um, but in verse 27 it continues, so God created man, that is humanity, mankind, in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. Does anybody know that God blesses people? Do you know that? Do you know that God loves people? And do you know that God wants to continue doing this? It wasn't a one-time thing. God's heart is to love the people of his creation, the ones who bear his image, and he wants to be a God who blesses people. I think God is really, really good. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, we'll, we'll leave that there. 
Um, this is a promise that's right there at the beginning. If you were to track through the story of Genesis, you'd find after the flood with Noah, Genesis chapter 9, this is a promise that God makes again to his people. It's that promise of be fruitful and multiply. And, and you know exactly what the Bible is talking about, don't you? This is part of God's design. It's part of his plan for his people, that, that people should have people that parents should have kids and that this should grow and, and that actually the, the people that God has made in his image should actually carry forth his image into the world. There's this wonderful prophecy that comes a little bit later on in the, in the book of Habakkuk that talks about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I don't know how you think about that verse if you've ever thought about it, but recognize that God has made people to bear his glory in his world. Did you know that? That God has made people imprinted with his image and his intention for people was to bear his glory, to reveal the wondrous nature of God in all of creation. All of creation was made good by God, but there's only one part of creation that is specifically tasked with being a glory bearer. as people. As people. And when I think about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, I think about people renewed through Jesus Christ, revealing the glory of God as God has always intended. You see, God intended that there shouldn't just be two people or four people or six or eight. God intended that people should do exactly what he promised, be fruitful and multiply. I know that we're, uh, that we're British. We don't really talk about these kinds of things ordinarily. I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon. Do you remember that old Ronnie Corbett movie, No Sex Please, We're British? Do you remember that? And um, but of course, if, if God's plans and purposes for his world were to be fulfilled, then, well, there has to be, doesn't there? And there have to be kids that come of this. And, and when we uh, then go to the book of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, we find that the whole book is really a book in anticipation of a pair of young lovers getting married and having the consummation of that marriage. Now, I know when you read the book, I mean, it doesn't talk a great deal about kids. And it's not primarily about parenting. We've said this already. But even within this book, where there's two young people who basically are absolutely enraptured and captivated with one another and think that there's no one else in the world but them. You married couples out there, do you remember those days? You say, Pastor Gray, I don't remember those days. We're still living in those days. I know, I know how romantic you are. No, no, you're not. Okay, apparently not. Valentine's Day is coming soon, just a heads up there. Uh, it's a public service for all the gentlemen in the room. Um, I'm not going to tell you what day it is. You're going to have to research that for yourself, but there you go. Um, they're enraptured, and they're absolutely captivated with one another as though there's no one else in the world. But even in that context, there are a few occasions when they, they recognize the birds and the bees, the nature of how they are, how they exist. You know, right there at the beginning, I think in chapter one, um, when the, the, the lady is talking about how she uh, you know, appears to, to her uh, 
to her lover. Um, she's talking about her mom a little bit and, and her brothers, and she's acknowledging that she didn't just spring from the ground. You know, there she is, a product of her family. And then actually when you, you read through the book and, and, and chapter 3 and verse 4 and chapter 8 and verse 2, there are these glancing references to the young woman eventually bringing her lover, There's this moment that she's looking forward to. And it, the Bible puts it like this, it says, into my mother's house. This is a bit of a strange concept, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I think about young people who are absolutely in love with one another, it seems to me that most young people, if they're thinking of somewhere romantic, they're not thinking about going around to their mums. Is that anyone? Does that make sense to anybody? It's not like, where can we be romantic together? Let's go to the living room with my mum and dad. It just doesn't make much sense, does it? Is this just me? No? Help me out here. You're going to need to help me out here because, you know, I just, you know, I need your help. Actually, and, and this is where it gets a little bit more embarrassing, what it seems most likely that she's referring to is to the fact that when they do consummate their forthcoming marriage, she's inviting him in in a particular way. She knows that that's the way she's going to become a mother. That's what the Bible's talking about. We call this sermon series hashtag relationships goals, but that's, that's just hashtag embarrassing exegesis there, isn't it? Hashtag embarrassing moments in the Bible, I don't know. But there's a recognition that although they're enraptured in love with one another and they know that the day's going to come when they're married and they're able to have sex together, that actually what's going to come that the product of this is rooted in God's plan for creation to be fruitful and multiply. I don't know if this is going to come as a horrible shock to anybody here, but sex produces children. Just want to let you know. There you go. A little bit of biology for you as well as theology this evening. I've been looking around the room. I know we have a children's program in the other room. And my real deep hope was that children would all be in the children's program. If there are any children in the room, I'm just very... Abby, I'm so sorry. Your uncle's a bad man. Um, and with that in mind, I'm going to continue. <laughs> now, why on earth is Pastor Greg kind of joining the dots in a really, really obvious fashion? Why on earth is Pastor Greg kind of having a little bit of a birds and a bees talk with you this evening um, from the Old Testament of all places? Well, because what I want to draw out this evening is some themes, and, and our time is short, so that's all the time we've got to do is just a few themes, but a few themes about how it is that we can rightly um, see God's plan for children. Because and Ian was referencing a young couple with young kids, and I don't know whether you know, but he was talking about are we ones who were marauding around his house earlier. Um, children are precious. Does anybody know that children are precious? You know, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God above. And, and I know that my kids are good and perfect gifts. That doesn't mean their behavior is always good and perfect, but they are good and perfect gifts. I want us to understand how it is that we can rightly understand how precious children are. The problem that comes, and it's a hugely significant problem, if we start to divorce uh, the, 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 the nature of sex from procreation. Uh, actually, that's something that is increasingly common within our world, as crazy as it sounds. But then 
when we actually are able to marry the two together appropriately within the context of God's will, how it is then that we can bless our kids and raise kids well. And even if you're not in a season of life where you've got young children or, or even if that's never going to be a part of your journey, how you also can be a blessing to children raised according to the gospel and in the way of Christ. Does anybody want to bless children like that? Yeah, I'm sure you do. Well, let, I mean, let's come to the, some of the problem first. And, and please forgive me, but this is going to get, it's going to get quite tough when we consider how it is that within our world we don't rightly understand God's plans and purposes and separate out things that shouldn't be separated. But having come through that, we're going to come to somewhere really good in the end, I hope. Now, I, I, I recognize right at the get-go, when I talk about um, God's plan for, for people to be fruitful and multiply, to procreate. I recognize that, that within godly and loving marriages and, and beautiful relationships that we know God has brought together and blessed, within our broken world, that, that isn't possible for everybody. Uh, and it's right that we should recognize that. As much as I'm going to be talking about procreation this evening, I don't for a moment want to suggest that that somehow is the marker of, of the only blessing of God. We know that that's simply isn't true and and we are failing in our understanding of God if we draw an immediate straight line between I do what God says and he gives me exactly what I want we live in a world that is not there yet but we live understanding that God is making all things new the Bible wants to reveal to us over and over again God's heart in Psalm 68, we find that God, what does he do? He places the lonely in families. This is the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is, is even when things don't always work out in the way that we would want, then God has a plan to make things new, to extend the family of God and to welcome in all. The very plan of God's salvation, of his redemptive purposes in the world, that it really kicks into gear remarkably in Genesis chapter 15. And, and there we find a guy, Abraham, and, and God's promised something over him. But, but Abraham's he's kind of he's wrestling with the promise of God. And he says, Come on, how is this promise going to come true? I, I still don't have any kids. And, and I'm getting on a bit. And we know his wife wasn't really part of this conversation because then he says, my, my wife's getting on a bit as well. And, and every man knows you never say that in front of you. No. Um, there you go. Another bit of help for the gentleman this evening. But there they are recognizing that things are tough. And, and even then, God speaks into what was barren and, and what was broken. And he brings in the possibility of new life. God he treasures people. He loves people. He loves to make family. That's what he loves to do. And particularly, God treasures children. He treasures children um, even in the womb. In Psalm 139, uh, we find some really well-known verses, verse 13 onwards. And the psalmist there is recognizing this. For you, that is God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's, that's a really intimate description, isn't it? I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. God is, God is seeing children, even being 
crafted in, in the womb, if I can use that kind of language. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's just remarkable, isn't it, to consider the, 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 the prize that, that children are to God, the joy that they are, even as they're being formed in the womb. The Bible makes this case again and again and again. There's a couple of people who take up this, this understanding through Scripture. In, in Jeremiah, right at the beginning of that book, chapter 1 and verse 5, the same case is being, is being made about Jeremiah. And the, the verse there says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. This is just utterly remarkable stuff, isn't it? Even before conception, God knows about those who are going to be conceived. And then when they are conceived and they're growing in the womb, even in this environment, God is planning and purposing them. Consecration is the word that is used. That means to be set apart as holy, to be set apart for God's purposes. I think it's absolutely remarkable what God thinks about children. And again, in, in Galatians, Paul is talking about his own experience. And in chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says, He knows that he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul is recognizing this truth that, that God, even before he was born, God had set Paul apart for his purposes. Does anybody think that that's remarkable? Very, I don't know. I, I never know when you don't respond in these ways, whether you're just wiser than me or whether you've fallen asleep. I don't know. But I think this is remarkable. I think it's absolutely stunning the way that God is doing incredible things through the, even through the biology of, of what he has put into, into train right from the very beginning. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he must have known there's going to be billions of people coming into birth, but I'm going to know them all. I'm going to knit them together in their mother's womb. I'm going to consecrate them apart to me. I'm going to plan and purpose their future. I'm going to know their days. I'm going to see them before anybody else sees them. It's before ultrasound. And yet God was seeing people even then. This is the investment of God. And I want you to start to understand how it is that God wants family to be and how it is that God wants his people particularly. If you've been made alive in Christ... And, and based on the way that you were singing earlier, I imagine you have been, to understand the, 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 the treasure that people are to God from the very beginning, from the very beginning. And for us to have that same heart towards children. We live in a society, well, it's conflicted. I would say it's probably even schizophrenic about children. And in some ways, children are as though they're like the center of everything. And then in other ways, and in one way in particular, it's as though this world really couldn't care less. And, and the ultimate evil of, of divorcing sex from procreation is the evil of abortion. And I know I'm talking now into a topic that is, is something that is so weighted with emotion and so difficult for us even to, to think about. And I, I don't open up this, this area of conversation in order to kind of 
provide a point of shame for anybody, uh, not, to, not to load upon anybody any kind of guilt if, if that's been a part of your journey in the past. But I do want to invite biblical thinking according to the heart of God. And it may be that even as we start to realize the, the wonder of, 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 of a child, even of the unborn child to our God, then maybe within us, whether it's been part of our journey in the past or whether we simply recognize it within our world, for godly sorrow to lead to repentance and to inspire God's people to think and to act differently because I believe, and I believe this incredibly strongly, that our world needs to change. Our world needs to change. How much does it need to change? Well, in 2018, there were the highest number of abortions in the UK for 10 years. This is not just a declining situation. And there were 205,295 abortions. There have been 87.7 million abortions in the UK since 1967 when the law was changed to legalize it within certain circumstances. These numbers are almost unimaginable, aren't they? Worldwide, there are approximately 56 million abortions every single year. It's the leading cause of death on the face of planet Earth more than heart disease and stroke and cancer combined. It's estimated that since 1973, when the, the Roe v. Wade case was um, brought to the US court, there have been 1.72 billion abortions in our world. I don't know how your heart is feeling right now. Mine's feeling quite heavy. Now, the numbers are huge. And you might immediately say, well, stop hitting us with numbers, Greg. It just doesn't pay attention to the people. I hope you understand that what I really want us to do this evening is, yes, to pay attention to the people, to the people born and the people unborn, and to consider the value that God places upon each and every one, equally made by him, equally valued by him, equally consecrated and set apart for him. The truth of the matter is that in the UK, 97.7% of abortions are not to do with anything that is life-threatening or any particularly horrific circumstances, but they're to do with mental health and, and it being potentially detrimental to the mental health of mums. I find that particularly tragic, knowing, as we do, that abortions themselves are hugely detrimental to the mental health of mums. Can we, in the face of these things, think that we live in a world or a society that really values children, that has understood God's plan and purposes for the people of his creation, to be fruitful and multiply and to raise kids, honoring them for who God has made them to be, I really don't think we, we can. I think our society falls far short of those ideals. And I think as a church and as Christians, 
we would do well to start to consider how is it that we are speaking a better word into this world? How is it that we can speak a better story into our world? John Wyatt, who is the emeritus professor of neonatal pediatrics at University College London, he puts it really well when he says this. Abortion has become a highly polarized and toxic issue in our society, but I believe that when we try to enter this battleground, our Christian task is first to listen and to understand, to empathize. Only in this way are we going to be able to speak with integrity, with authenticity, and with compassion. It's a very important thing to say from somebody who knows what they're talking about in every which way on the subject. And I'm certainly not coming to try and bring any kind of polarizing or polarized argument. I don't want to argue at all. When we talk about these issues, it's right for a Christian to honor both mums and children and to recognize that each of them are made in the sight of God. There, there really is, is no appropriate way to vilify anybody, whether an adult or to, or to dehumanize anybody, an unborn child. It's easy to get lost in the argument, but let's try and simplify things. I was reading, would you believe, a, a Christian children's author. He goes by the name of Bob Hartman, and he, he put it in a way that just made so much sense to me. He was talking about the immense efforts that are being made in our culture to address the problem of, of climate change and to try and, 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 and redress the balance and, and, and uh, you know, to, to try and make the world a better place. He said like this, he said, one could, for example, look at a field full of newly planted saplings and wonder how they could possibly take in enough carbon dioxide and release enough oxygen into the atmosphere to make their existence worthwhile. They hardly even look like trees, just row after row of sticks. But they are trees. That's what their DNA says. Nurtured and left to grow, they will indeed become something that actually looks like a tree in the future. He continues... I would like to suggest that the same logic applies to abortion. There's a tendency in our culture to look at the early stages of human life, to focus solely on the present reality and then to discount the essential worth of that life. Well, it's only a mass of cells, some people say. What does it matter if we destroy them? But just as every cell of those saplings contains DNA that identifies them as trees, every cell amongst that mass of cells, so-called, contains DNA that shouts human. And barring some natural tragedy of our broken world, the vast majority of those so-called masses of cells will continue to grow and to develop until they do, stage by stage, resemble more and more you and me. That's how life works. In fact, every person listening to these words began their life as one of those little saplings, so to speak. Oh, we live in a world that rightly wants to address the issues of climate change and will do so by putting into train things that have the potential of becoming something more. And yet we live in a same world that totally denies the potential of glory bearers of God simply because they don't seem to be there yet or look like it yet. 
It's a horrible tragedy. I don't believe that abortion as, a, as, a, as an idea, certainly not as a right, is something that can be logically, let alone morally, maintained. Ultimately, I have to agree with Alice Paul, who in fact was a suffragist. She was part of the suffragette movement and a women's rights activist who said this. She said, abortion is the ultimate exploitation of women, subverting, even inverting God's plans and purposes for the people that he has made, not us. It's a horror for each and every generation, made vulnerable to its predations and a terror of our age. Again, Christians, I want to ask you, what better word can you speak into your world? How can you so love mums and indeed dads within our world? How can we so treasure families? How can we so model a different way with our own families and our own raising of children, our own valuing of the kids within our church community and the wider community? How can we so sacrifice our own comfort and our own sense of self in favor of those around us who who don't have anybody sacrificing anything for them? How can we make a difference such that we might even speak life into our world? Well, firstly, and this for a moment is speaking to parents, but carers and grandparents perhaps as well, we can begin with how we parent our kids. Now, I'm going to talk about some things here as a dad who recognizes my inadequacies quite terribly. Now, a granddad just earlier on today was talking about how sometimes he would really lose his rag (laughs) when he was a dad. And and I'm so glad he said that because it gave me permission to, to say, I do that too. And I really wish I didn't, and I invite the grace of God. So I don't speak about parenting as any kind of expert, just as somebody who's journeying and hopefully journeying in the grace of God and getting better at it as I go along. If you know a thing or two, then would you, would you tell me? Oh, I need your help. Parenting is a part of God's mission in the world. Did you know that? God designed families as missionary crack teams into the world. Did you know that? You're like, absolutely, I had no idea about this, Pastor Greg. But he did. You see, in the Bible, humanity had an idea of how we would subdue the earth. Do you remember what God said? Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. Humanity devised our own idea of how we could do that. And the Bible talks about this place called Babel and how they built a tower that they thought would be so big and glorious it would scratch the heavens. And God looked down upon the industrious nature of the people he had created. And he said, well, if they can do this, sharing language, sharing culture, building this, well, really, there's nothing that they can't do. And yet God looked upon it. He said, they've got incredible potential and power, but all the things they're doing are against what I said. I said, go into all the earth. Go, fulfill, get out there. And they want to just come together in one place and make a name for themselves. Not glory bear for me. And God said, that's not it. And you know how the story goes. He utterly did away with their plans and purposes. But then the Bible goes from this massive scene very swiftly to a guy, Abraham. We talked about him already. Because God's plan for the the saving of the world wasn't through a government, it wasn't through a scheme, it wasn't through a tower or a city or a, a system. God's plan to save the world was through a family. 
His crack mission team to absolutely turn the world upside down was an old dude and his old wife having a kid that they didn't expect that would spark into being a family line from which eventually would come Jesus. God's plan is to use family to turn the world upside down. So when the Bible says that God wants to put lonely people in families, part of what he's talking about is taking people who are far away from him and bringing them in close. God's plan is through families. And this resets our idea of families. It's dead easy um, sometimes to allow parenting to become less about mission and more kind of about, you know, desperate maintenance um, if you're feeling really tired or utterly overwhelmed or potentially to let parenting become idolatry because sometimes kids can be just crazy beautiful and we want to invest in them and then we see them achieve and do certain things And then we're like, let's have some more of that. That's what it's about. And then, you know, parents can even kind of, what does it, live vicariously through their kids? And that that Premier League football career didn't come apart around for the dad. And so he's like, but my boy, he will. Um, Or, you know, whatever it is. And, and, And somehow parenting can become about wish fulfillment or about idolatry, or about just desperately trying to keep your head above water, when actually parenting is about the mission of God. It's about preparing the people that God has made with such intention to bear his glory in the world. And so God sends his son so that we might know about this. If God wants us to understand family, so what does he do? He says, I'm a father, let's send my son. He establishes and reveals a family dynamic so that we will understand family. And the Bible says in John 20 and verse 21, as the Father sent the Son, so Jesus says, I'm sending you. This is like, this is key stuff for how to live as parents or grandparents, for how to be as families. How did God the Father send the Son? Well, that's how I should be as a parent with my kids. And, and, you know, maybe not all of it, because Jesus is unique, but a great deal of it in the way that God has sent his son. It's how I ought to send Jesus. And, and, and God sends Jesus, firstly, with an extravagance of grace, a lavishing of love. You know, Jesus, he's done enough to save everybody everywhere, even though he knows that some people somewhere are not going to accept him. But he still did enough saving for them. I love that, the generosity of God's saving grace. And you know, parenting, it looks a lot like that kind of recklessness, that kind of extravagance, that that kind of wastefulness. Because if you've parented, especially when your kids are young, but you know, it probably continues for longer than it should, you have to say the same things over and over and over again, don't you? It's not like you can just say something once, that's done, let's move on to the next thing. Can I have some nods, at least, from the parents in the room? Yeah? You have to say things a billion times. And, and yeah, don't look at me like that, Nora. Um, you have to say it so much. And, and not only that, but, but you want to kind of lavish so much upon them. Does anybody ever get tired of kissing their kids? Does anybody get tired of this? You know, some of you are like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. You're a miserable bunch. I'm going to come and kiss you later. Um, <laughs> Lock the door, though. Um, I'm not going to do that, don't worry. Uh, you, ju- you just do, not because I've done it once or I did it on Monday. 
They surely must remember that one. No, because you want to. And you just extravagantly lavish your love upon the kids because as the Father sent the Son, an extravagance of grace, more than it seemed necessary, so God sends us. And this ought to direct how we parent our kids. We don't parent because of fear, but we parent because of hope. You know, we describe a difficult, troubled, broken world, but we don't parent saying, I just need to kind of keep my kids locked away in a room somewhere and then maybe it'll be okay. You're not helping, Nora. Um, we, we, say, we say, I hope that my kids can be the people that God has consecrated them from before they were born to be. And so I parent with that goal in mind as much as I possibly can. You know, there's an extravagance of grace, a hopefulness, a fullness of faith. Now, I was talking just yesterday, I think it was, with Erin. We were talking about George Muller of Bristol, the, the, the orphanage guy. Do you know about this guy? And he was such a man of faith, but he was so invested in children. And in a day and an age where lots of kids were basically just being written off and, and on the scrap heap of life, he just gathered them together. He set up orphanages when no one else would. And he didn't have the money for it or the time or whatever, but he just believed that God would bring the right people and the resource. And there's such a defining story of his orphanages. There was a moment in one of them, 300 children. They didn't have any food and they didn't have any money to buy food. But the day broke and breakfast needed to be had. And so George said to the ladies who were looking after the kids, get them ready for breakfast. And they said, there's no breakfast. Get them ready. And they got them ready, knowing they would have to go off to school and maybe with hungry tums. But they sat down at table and they prayed grace and believing that God would provide. And there's a knock at the door. And I, I didn't know all of the story of when I said yesterday, but I read it today. And there's a knock at the door and, and a baker said, I've been up all night. God wouldn't let me sleep. He told me you would need something today. I've baked extra batches of bread. Would you like them? And there was the bread. And then a little while after, um, a milk cart broke down outside the orphanage, not anywhere else. And he's like, I can't get the milk where it needs to go. It's going to spoil. I don't want it to spoil. Would your children like it? And God provided for 300 kids enough bread and enough milk for them to have full tums and ready to go off to school. Isn't that remarkable? You know, this is the kind of hope-filled parenting that we're talking about. This is the kind of hope-filled living that God is a God of enough. That the God who numbers days from before the first one of them has been lived under the light of the sun. This God is the God who will provide for these days. And we don't have to be afraid. But we can say, I want to bring kids up in this manner in this way of thinking, in this, in this way of believing. And even though this world is so hard, look, we're talking about an orphanage for crying out loud. No, no food, no money. It couldn't be harder. And yet this guy, George, he was able to say, and yet I believe. That's not God's will. Let's believe for more. Let's hope. Let's trust. And I read an interesting little biographical detail about George Muller. When he, he wasn't always such a good character, apparently, or of such good faith. As a young boy growing up in Germany in the 1800s, apparently he used to steal money from his dad. Is this encouragement to anybody? If you're a bit rough around the edges, God can make something out of you. Um, as a teenager, apparently he sneaked out of hotel twice without paying for the room. 
which I was wondering, why was he a teenager in a hotel anyway? But anyway, that's another. Um, one time he got caught by the police and put in jail, and then he was in Bible college, would you believe? Um, but even as a Bible college student, he used to love going to the bars so he could drink too much and gamble and being the life of the party. A Bible college student. I'm sure things have changed. Um, but he loved making fun of people, especially Christians, apparently. Especially the Christians. But he was invited to a Bible study. And his parents were praying for him. And I don't know, there must have been moments where they were afraid that this wasn't going to work out well. But something of hope got in there. And, and somebody invited him. This absolute scally. And they invited him to come along. And he got hooked on the Bible. And God grabbed a hold of his life and changed it. You know, a guy called Eberhard Arnold, he said this. He said, every child is a thought in the mind of God. And our task is to recognize this thought and help it toward completion. How extravagant are you going to be in the love of your life towards kids? You know, I've talked a bit about parents and parenting according to hope and love and not fear. I've talked about the tragedy of our world. But, but come on, I want every single Christian here to understand that God is thinking about children. Are you? Are you thinking about how we as a church family are crafting ourselves as a space and a place where kids are safe and welcome? And, and please, God, we could have 300 kids that we could give bread and milk to and maybe a little bit more. Come on, what, what, what steps are you taking in your life such that that might be true? The extravagance of lavishing love. You know, next week when we come again into the pages of the Song of Songs, you're going to see an extravagant love story. These people, they're not talking about one another and saying, oh yeah, I think, I think she's quite pretty. Um, yeah, how about the football? No, the, the lover says, he goes on and on and on about the woman that he's absolutely enraptured with and she to him as well. They don't hold back. They don't give just a bit. They give everything that they have. That's love. And Christians, I think somehow we've got a little bit distanced away from the love that God has lavished upon us. And we don't really want to lavish it upon others. How about extravagantly giving yourself? And how about extravagantly giving yourself to those who are the weakest and most vulnerable and oftentimes overlooked in our society? So precious in the sight of God. What are we to do? Well, we're to want and to treasure children as a good gift of God. To recognize this purpose in our being, in, in the very creation of God, and to consider how this is an integral part of our mission and seeing the glory of God in every place, in every space, at every time. Raising up kids who can be glory bearers in school, amen? Raising up kids... You know, as a church, how about we get to raise up kids who then go and bear the glory of God in unbelieving homes? How about that, amen? Yeah? How about raising... In, in my home at the moment, every evening we do a little devotional. The book we're reading is 50 People Every Child Should Know. And they're all called Jesus Friends and they're missionaries and, and, and incredible people. George Muller's tomorrow and we're going to look at him. And how about raising up kids like that? Yeah? How about raising up some George Mullers? Anybody? Come on. Don't just say yes. 
do it. Do it. If God gives you your own natural children and your own family, then do it. Hope, not fear. Extravagance of love. Grandchildren, do it. Nieces, nephews, do it. You know, if this is not part of your story, then how about fostering kids or adopting them? You know, if every single church in the UK, if there was one family in each church that adopted a child, there wouldn't be a single child in the whole of the country that didn't have a home. One family in each church? That's not very much, is it? How about you do that? Come on. Some of you could do that. Or if not that, then you could, you could foster. Or if not that, how about Safe Families for Children, the charity that we partner with where we get to help kids that are in moments of crisis so that it doesn't get any worse. Have you signed up for it? Probably not, because there's about a dozen of us in our church have. There's a lot more of you than a dozen. Why don't the rest of you sign up? Give some of your time. Give some of your heart. Love some kids. Recognize these are people who are made to bear the glory of God in our world and they need your help to do so. I have talked for far too long. I get a little bit excited on this subject. I'm going to stop now. And I'm simply going to ask that the Holy Spirit would excite the rest of us on this. So would you stand with me? Proverbs 1 and verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Some good parenting advice right there. You have to teach your kids if you want them to hear. You have to instruct them if you want them to know how to live. But church, this evening, we know that we have a father in heaven who wants to teach us, and not just teach us more facts, but to teach our hearts to teach us the way of love. And, and Jesus shows us that so perfectly. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And dear God, we simply ask that we would take you seriously. How we've known your love. Uh, please God, we continue to know your love. Uh, we abide in your love. Please, God. So, God, let us be sent in your love. To so take that seriously. Jesus, how are we going? How are we going? Who are we loving? How are we showing? In a world of need. God, would you speak to us? I believe that you speak to our hearts more powerfully and profoundly than I can speak, Jesus. So I ask you to do that. And God, please... Would you continue to speak? God, when, when these good people go away from the sound of my voice, God, I pray that they would not go away from the sound of your voice. Speak to them. Speak your love to them. Uh, speak your commission to them, I pray.